If you have your Bible, you'll be wanting to turn to Luke chapter 16, starting with uh, verse 19 to 31. Everyone there? Okay. <laughs> so we've been talking for the past few weeks about uh, this topic, who's your one? Who's the one person that you're going to be praying for this year? And obviously, you don't have to limit it to one, right? We can pray for many different people, but I think for this year at least, make sure that you have one person that you are constantly praying for, that you're constantly looking for opportunities to share Christ with them, and being very intentional about them having the opportunity to share the gospel. Jesus said, follow me, right? And by, by saying that, he meant follow my way of teaching, follow my way of making disciples. And so we've learned that, that we need to be disciples of Jesus, follow him, that we need to be on mission, which means we need to have an eager expectation that the gospel is going to be received and it's going to be received eagerly. Uh, and then we learn that each individual Christian is important, right? You guys are all important, whether you think so or not. You're important to the kingdom of God. Sharing your testimony, sharing your, uh, your witness, sharing the gospel with others, you are so important. Well, we're going to continue talking about this, about who is your one, by speaking about the rich man and Lazarus. But it's going to take a little bit different turn because we're going to be talking about a very serious subject. And that is the serious subject of the doctrine of hell and what awaits those who do not receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so you can have a lot of awkward conversations in our culture, right? You can talk about politics, and that can be very awkward right now. You can talk about religion, and that is always a little bit awkward, especially if you start talking about how Jesus is the only way to heaven, is the only way to God, is the only way to receive forgiveness. That can become very awkward. And for some people, it's even awkward to talk about being saved. They might even have the question, well, when you say that I have to be saved, what, what do you mean? Saved exactly from what? Well, we know that power has a tremendous influence in our lives, and we need to be saved from the power of sin in our lives so that we can live holy lives. We know also that God wants to deliver us from the presence of sin eventually. He wants to take us out of our current situation, and he will do that when he comes back for uh, the church and, and takes us to heaven with him. Uh, he wants to deliver us from the presence of sin so that one of these days we will be in heaven or we'll, we will be on the earth, heaven on earth, actually, but we will no longer be uh, troubled by the presence of sin. Sin will not be allowed in that kingdom. But mostly... What God wants to save us from is from the penalty for our sin, right? There is a penalty for our sin, and sin is just rebellion against God. It's just disobedience to God. It can be as something as simple as telling a lie, or it can be something as drastic as denying who Jesus Christ is. But there is a penalty for our sin. The book of Romans says it very clearly. It says, for the wages of sin is death. And that death means physical death, but it also means 
spiritual death, which is just another name for going to hell, right? I have a little trouble even saying the word hell because I was brought up like a lot of you when I was very young. My mom would you know, tell me words I could say, words I couldn't say. And hell was one of those words that I could not say. So even at this age, I have a little bit trouble getting that word out. But it's an important teaching about the doctrine of the, of the Bible and, and about us as well. And as we think about the one that whom we are praying for, this, of course, is what we are trying to avoid. We're trying to avoid and we're trying to keep people from going to a place such as hell. Now, some people might say, well, hell's not a, a really a very real place, but it is a real place, and we'll talk about that a little bit earlier, but I wanted to use an illustration from space, <laughs> the final frontier, right? So I've always been fascinated by space and by objects in space and by distances in space, and uh, it just makes God's creation just that much more glorious when you see how awesome space is, how vast the distances are, because Sometimes we have a tendency to put God in a little box and we say, well, he kind of fits in this little box. And looking at God's creation, such as what is up on the board, it makes our picture of God much, much bigger and it causes us to give him much, much more honor and, and glorify him for who he is. And so this is a picture of, uh, or actually it's an artist's representation of an object in space called a black hole. Maybe you've heard of a black hole before. Maybe you've never heard of a black hole, but let me just talk about a black hole for a minute as an illustration of what we're gonna be talking about today. And so what is a black hole? Well, it's an object in, the, object in space. It is an actual object. It is incredibly massive and, and heavy would be a word that we might use. And so we're talking about stars and planets that have come together and they, because of their gravitational pull on each other, they form this sphere and it is crushed further and further and further and further down to the point that where maybe a teaspoon of this matter, if you could hold a teaspoon of it, would weigh the same as a planet, a, very, a whole planet. And so this, it just starts collecting more and more more material and you can kind of see the ring of material around this you see the black hole in the center but it's taking in more and more material and it's getting denser and crushing more and it's getting hotter and it gets to the point to where light itself cannot escape and that's why it's black it's i mean you can't see stars behind it because there is an object there. It is just so dense that light traveling at 186,000 miles an hour cannot escape the gravitational pull. It is a place where the laws of physics break down in the area near the black hole, so it's, it's kind of difficult to study them. You know, we think of length and breadth and width and time and we think of a space, and all those things begin to break down near a black hole because light cannot escape, material cannot escape out of it. If you were near a black hole, you would be drawn into that black hole, and who knows what would happen then. But 
they are su such a great gravitational pull that the laws of physics begin to break down. A black hole is literally a bottomless pit in space. You know, sometimes they're depicted of this. This, this is more of a 3D picture, a 2D picture, and it's going to look like a whirlpool, right? Like in the bottom of your tub, and you see how it pulls everything in. And that pit, that drain for a black hole is endless. It's bottomless. It's infinite, which is, which is kind of amazing. There's a black hole that is at the center of our galaxy. For a long time, these were just predicted by Einstein's laws, but then they finally began to observe them. You can't actually see a black hole, but you can see the matter around the black hole that looks like this. But there's a black hole at the center of our galaxy, and it has the mass of four million of our suns. <laughs> just tremendous. And they're not very big compared to a sun because they are so much crushed together. A black hole was discovered in another galaxy and it has a mass of 6.6 .6 billion of our suns, all smashed together, cannot get out, no light can come out, pulls everything in within its, a certain radius. I, I wrote down this question, if you could somehow travel to a black hole, enter into it and somehow survive, what would you experience? Well, we don't know if anyone would ever survive. Most people think, well, you'd just be made into spaghetti. But I think what you would find, by the way it's described by physicists, a place in which you are forever falling, a place that is dark, totally without light, fiery hot, crushing, inescapable, totally alone, and separate from the normal universe. And so when people talk about hell and say that it's not a real place. I don't know if black holes are hell. The Bible doesn't tell us that. But it, it lets me see that there are places like this that could exist. And so we're going to be talking about hell today very frankly and we're doing it because I think of obvious reasons. We don't want our loved ones to go to hell. We don't want them to experience that. We want to have a sense of urgency in telling them about Christ so that they can believe on him and escape hell. So let's go ahead and read our scripture today. And let me say, this is obviously the word of God, but it is also a parable. And so to me, it somewhat gives a softer picture of hell than other verses in the Bible. But there'll be some truths that we can gain from this. I'm not discounting God's word. I'm just saying that... Uh, yeah, you'll see. So let's go ahead and stand and, and get your blood flowing again. Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31, praying in honor of God's word, we'll be standing. And this is Jesus telling a parable. He says, There was a rich man who is clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was a, laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores would desire to be fed and what, with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his table. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus 
to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who had passed from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they become come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes from them to the dead, they will repent. He said to them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this opportunity that we have to look at this parable that you have given to us to help us to understand the seriousness of our sin and the seriousness of what we would say is life after death. And so we pray that you would not only give us information here today, but that you would move our hearts with compassion for those who are lost. Move our hearts in such a way that it would be our desire that no one would ever experience this place, but that they would be delivered through the blood of Jesus Christ to his glory and for their good. So teach us from this today, and we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this, this story is pretty uh, simple. There's a rich man, there's a poor man. The rich man has all the niceties of life, but he passes away like all of us will, right? Whether we're rich or poor, we're eventually going to die one of these days. The rich man dies, and also the poor man dies. The poor man goes to be with uh, Abraham's side or his bosom. That's what we're more used to saying, right? Abraham, he goes to Abraham's bosom, which is another uh, term for going to heaven. And the rich man goes and suffers in Hades, which is not just another name for hell. So there, there are several different names for hell. So I wanted to mention some of those. I've already mentioned a, a couple of those. But names for hell, one of them is Hades. Uh, the reason this is used is that primarily it's a Greek word. It's it's a mean, it's a, a word that refers to the underworld or the, or the world of the dead, both in Jewish life, but also in Greek life. Gehenna is another Greek word that refers to, uh, actually it refers to, if you're familiar with Jerusalem or have ever seen the Temple Mount, uh, off to the east, there is the Mount of Olives, but, but in between the Mount of Olives and the Temple Mount, there's a valley, right? It's the Valley of Hinnon, I believe is the name of it. In this Valley of Hinnon, when Jerusalem was, uh, you know, many, many years ago, before they had any other kind of sanitation, during the time of Jesus, they would dump all their refuse out into that valley and set it on fire. And so sometimes Gehenna is used as a name for uh, hell or for Hades. Uh, sometimes hell is called the second death. Okay, second death, we know that we will all die physically, but those who sin against God will experience a second death, and that is a spiritual death or separation from God. Sometimes it's called eternal death. 
Sometimes hell is called the eternal fire. Sometimes, especially Jesus, called it the unquenchable fire. It's a place of torment. It's called a fiery furnace. It's called the wrath to come and sometimes referred to as a bottomless pit. And so this is the, this is the situation that the rich man finds himself in. He is in uh, hell. Uh, the poor man is in heaven at Abraham's bosom. And they are divided by a great chasm which no one can cross across. I mean, you can't travel from one to the other. They are separated. The rich man obviously is in torment. He's hot. He's hot from the fire. He wants a drink and asks Abraham to send the poor man, the Lazarus, uh, to dip his finger in water so that he can have just a taste of water. The rich man, he asks for mercy, he asks for water, he asks for someone to warn his family to avoid this place of torment, but this request was rejected. Actually, it was answered by saying that they have the prophets and they have Moses. They can go and learn about this place from them. And so what exactly is the truth about hell that we need to know today? We know, first of all, that no one needs to go there, right? No one should go there. <laughs> uh, we don't want anyone to go there. But here are some truths about this place called hell. We mentioned this before, hell is a real place. Hell is not a fairy tale, it's not a fable, it's not something someone made up. It is something that uh, is true and it's real. Jesus himself taught more on hell than he did on heaven. Darling? Yeah, some good news. And what we're, what we're, the, the thing about teaching about this is that it does end up in good news, right? Mm -hmm. There is good news. Although we have to give this bleak picture. And that's something you might think about in your conversations with your one, whoever that one may be. Eventually, you may need to have this, this discussion. You know, you want to share Christ, you want to share the good news, but there has to be, they have to understand what they are being saved from. And they're being saved from this horrible place of hell, which is a real place, I was saying. Jesus taught more on hell than he did on heaven. Jesus said this about hell. He said, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. It was Jesus who said, if your hand causes you to sin, it's better to cut off your hand and enter into heaven with only one hand than it is to go to hell with two hands. So this is a real place. And I've also given the example of the black hole that places like this can exist. Not saying that a black hole is hell, but it could be, right? Could be. It's definitely gonna be like that. A crushing place, a dark place, a place of pain, a place where it feels like we are falling endlessly. So hell is a real place, but hell is also forever or it's eternal. You can put eternal or forever both in there. People after death continue to exist someplace, right, forever. We were created in the image of God and we were created to be immortal beings to live forever. The only reason that we don't is because of our sin. But even after our death, physical death, we go on to live someplace forever. There's only two places, right? 
There's no purgatory, by the way. <laughs> but there is hell, the place of torment, and there's heaven, the place that we want to be. Everyone will experience either eternal life or eternal death. Eternal means eternal. It means it lasts forever. It is not soul sleep. You might hear some people talk about soul sleep. Well, uh, especially Jehovah Witness, Witnesses will say that when you die physically, you go to soul sleep until the resurrection. In other words, you're just unconscious. The Bible does not say anything about soul sleep. Neither does it talk about another theory that people have. And that's the theory that you are annihilated. Okay, you do, they would say, no, you do not live forever. When you are destroyed in hell, you are annihilated. You go out of existence. The Bible doesn't say anything about that. People are not annihilated, but they continue to exist forever. They will live forever in one of two places, either in heaven where Jesus is, who is their savior, or in hell for those who never hear about Jesus or reject Jesus. Jesus speaks this way in Matthew 25. It's, it's a few verses, so listen closely. But he says, I was a stranger and you did not welcome me, naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in person and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, did not... You did not do it to one of the least of these. You did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. And the reason I quote that is because we know that eternal life lasts forever, right? And it speaks also eternal punishment. So if eternal life is eternal, eternal punishment is eternal as well. So hell is a real place. It's a forever place. But also hell is a place of isolation. In this parable between the rich man and Lazarus, there's this great chasm that is set up between them. And there's no way that they can cross it. Those in hell will be alone and lonely. They will be alone and lonely. They will not be partying it up with their unbelieving friends. Right? <laughs> you know, sadly, some people will say that. Well, if I go to hell, I'll just be with all my friends. We'll have a big party. It will not be like that. It will be a crushing place. It will be an isolated place. They will be lonely and alone. Only themselves to think about their life. The rich man was separated by an impassable chasm. And in hell, we will be separated by an impassable chasm. It will be a place that we cannot escape from because of this chasm. Therefore, hell is a place of great fear. It will be full of despair, depression, pain, torment, darkness. It'll be like a bottomless pit where we are continually falling in the dark under extreme pain. It's a place of fear. It's also a place of separation from God. Do you notice in this discussion here, uh, the rich young ruler appeals to Lazarus and to Abraham, but he never appeals to God. He never appeals to God. He never repents of his sin. 
And so hell is a place of separation from God. And, and to me, I think this will be the greatest of the suffering that they will experience. They will have an opportunity to see God at the great white throne judgment, whom they will appear before God, before they're cast into the lake of fire. They will make an appearance to give an account for their life. God will open the books and they'll find that everyone is wanting. The only one who escapes the great white judgment and the lake of fire are those whose names are written in the book of life, those of us who are believers in Christ. But they will see God. They will see his glory. They will see his love, his majesty, his forgiveness. And yet they will be cast into the lake of fire, separated from God and all good things that come from God forever. Listen to this description in 2 Thessalonians. Paul writing, he says, Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in the saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. Such an such a enlightening section of scripture. They will suffer punishment of an eternal nature, destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. A key word in the doctrine of hell is destruction, but it's an eternal destruction. It's an eternal punishment that goes on forever and ever. It never comes to an end. And so hell is a place of pain and torment. You saw how this verse speaks of fire and the heat that the rich man was uh, enduring. How much heat, I don't know. You know, heat is a pretty terrible thing, right? Fire is a terrible thing. It appears as though this rich man is a, has at least enough of his wits to be able to speak. And so I'm not trying to minimize what hell is like, but because it will be a conscious eternal punishment. But I don't think it's going to be something to where we can't think properly. I could be wrong about that. But the last one there, which I've already said, hell is a conscious, eternal punishment. So it's a real place. It's a forever place. It's a place of isolation, of loneliness, a place of fear, separation from God, pain and torment, conscious, eternal torment. David Platt gets very emotional when he speaks about hell. He talks about people who talk about that was a hell of a game. And he says they have no idea what they're talking about or they wouldn't use language like that. Even to us, maybe it seems extreme. Why so? Why does why is the punishment seem so extreme for temporal sins here to be punished forever on that for that? I'm going to try to give some answers to that. First of all, God is a holy God and he must punish sin. 
He is showing great mercy and grace right now by not punishing us for our sin. Did you know that? You know, first, I think it's 1 John 2.12 says that Jesus is the appropriation uh, for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of the whole world. Appropriation, appropriation means that he's averting God's wrath away from us. And he's doing that right now, by the way. He's doing that for us. Because God, being a holy God, must punish sin unless there's something that, that is substituted in the place of that that would avert that sin, and that's what Jesus Christ has done for us. He's paid the penalty. He's paid. He's died for the whole world in the sense that we don't immediately, when we sin, be cast into hell, which is what we deserve. So God is a holy God and must punish sin. Isaiah 30, 13, 11 says, I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. You see, God has a much different view of our sin than we do most of the time. Most of the time, maybe we see as a minor infraction, well, we told a little lie, so what? Jesus died for that, that sin, so no big deal. But to God, it is an act of rebellion. It's an act of... Um, Let's, let's put it this way. If you sent your son <laughs> to die on the cross for someone and then they continued in the very sin that you sent your son to die for, would you not be upset? You would be, you'd be upset. Secondly, the punishment must fit the offense and be appropriate to the one who is offended. As I said before, sin is a rebellion against God a holy God who loves us, who's given his son for us. We spurn his love when we continue to sin. Punishment in hell is an indication to us of the severity of our sin. This punishment, which lasts forever and ever, should be a, should be a sign to us, an indication to us of how serious our sin is against God, a holy God. I was listening to a sermon by John MacArthur on this, and he made a point that I'd never realized before. But the reason that sin continues, or the reason that hell and punishment and sin continues to go on is that those who are condemned to hell never repent. He said the most sinful time in our history will be the people who are in hell who continue to rebel against God rather than repenting and taking the punishment as an incentive to repent of their sin, they continue to mock God and continue to not repent or feel genuine sorrow for their sin. But they continue in an attitude of rebellion against God. And therefore, he says, there are always new sins in hell to be punished. Ready for the good news? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> There's good news, right? There's good news. No one here, no one who hears the gospel need go to hell. Jesus has provided it all. He's provided all that we need for our salvation, our saving 
from this place called hell. Jesus suffered on our behalf. He endured the pain and torment. He endured the darkness of the bottomless pit. He endured the isolation from us as he hung on the cross. He endured separation from his own father as his back, father turned his back on him and said, I don't know you. Jesus paid the whole price for all of this. And so when we go to someone and we talk about hell, first of all, we don't have to be ashamed of the doctrine of hell. It is a just punishment for our sins because God is a just and good God. So we don't have to be ashamed of it. I would say we need to use tact in sharing this with people, right? Doesn't mean we have to beat them over the head with it, but we need to present that they are in real danger. I think it was Kirk Cameron one time who gave the illustration, if your neighbor's house on, was on fire, would you run and tell them and wake them up from their sleep? Or would you wait, say, well, I need to wait for a better time? No, it's, it's an emergency, right? It's an emergency. We never know when our loved one is going to leave this life and enter into the next life. And so we worship, right? <laughs> even, on a, even on a subject as difficult as hell, we accept the teaching, but we worship because Jesus has paid the penalty and the price for all of us in such a way that those who believe and trust in him cannot have eternal damnation, but will have eternal life. Very good news for us today. For us, it means that, you know, we need to be honest in sharing the gospel with people and hell is part of that gospel. We may not say the word hell, but we need to surely uh, be able to tell people that their sins have separated them from God. And so God wants to have a close relationship with us like this, but sin comes in between us and we can't have that close relationship, but we can through Jesus Christ. And that's the good news. And we can with each other as well, right? Without Christ, we would be at enmity with one another. We would be arguing with one another, just like the world continues to argue with itself. But because of Christ, we are now brothers and sisters in Christ and we have unity. Let's not forget about this. There may be times where we need to just sit down and say, to our loved ones, hey, this is what the Bible says about hell, but you don't have to experience that. Turn and trust in Christ. Trust what he has done on the cross as a payment for our sin. Trust and believe in him and you can have eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity just to speak about this topic. And it's hard for all of us. It's hard because we care so much for people that we want no one to experience this. And so we pray that you would embolden us with this, that you would see, help us to see the situation that lost people are in. It's no different than the situation we were in. We as Christians are not better than those who are lost. We have just come to faith in Jesus Christ. And so we don't enter into conversations about this because 
of how great we are and how much we have overcome, but we do it because God's grace has been showered upon us and we have a story to tell. We have a story that says that Rob Wines was a sinner, that he was arrogant, but that through your grace you touched him and he was born again and placed his faith and trust in you. And that's the only thing that saves us is your grace and your mercy through faith. And so we pray that you would help us to communicate that with love. Even when speaking about hell, help us to show the concern that we have for those we are speaking about. We pray for open ears that people would even allow us to speak the words of the gospel to them. We pray that you would help us to build relationships so that we earn a place at their table and can speak these words to them. Most of all, we want to see all of the people whom we are praying for come to know Christ. And we, we are looking for a harvest this year. This is not like last year where the harvest was not so plentiful. We're, we're taking you at your word that the harvest is plentiful and the problem is us, the laborers. We need to be more forthcoming. We need to be more bold. We need to be more innovative in finding new and better ways of sharing the gospel. We need to stretch our faith and to grow. And we need to be proud of Jesus and declare his glory amongst our community and to the furthest part of our nation and the world. And if we do that, if they see true difference in our life, then when we speak words, it will hit home. And when your Holy Spirit combines with that, people will come to know Christ. And this disastrous place will be avoided altogether. Father, thank you for this time. Continue to do a work in us, helping us to be compassionate for those who are lost. We pray in Jesus' name.